We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Start for the win. It's good. Krzyzewski takes flight as SGA plays through the contact, banks it in on the foul. What is up, Thunder fans? And welcome to the post game or to the uncontested post game podcast edition. Uh, I am your host for tonight, Taylor Peterson. You can find me on Twitter at Taylor underscore P15. The uncontested, we are a proud part of Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official po- podcast of SI Thunder. Uh, you can find us on all social media platforms, essentially Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on YouTube. Hopefully, like some of you guys that are uh, and gals who are on this live stream are watching via YouTube as well. Um, I'm going to try and be a little better second half of the season and posting some, some more highlight reels. So be sure to tune in there. And then we're also on TikTok now. Um, I've been having fun with that and, and trying to get some some reels up, some Thunder reels up. So be sure to follow us on TikTok as well. Um, the Thunder dropped a close one tonight to the Cleveland Cavaliers, unfortunately. After leading by as many as 18 in the second half, Thunder ended up losing to a really, really good uh, Cleveland Cavaliers team, 107-102. to 102. Just some notes before we get into the game, before we get started, just some things I want to mention here at the top of the podcast. Valley sports issues. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to go on like a huge rampant, um, you know, saga here, but I turn on the game. Uh, so, so we have Cox Cable, which you know we'll see how long that lasts. To be completely honest with you all, but we have Cox Cable right now here in the OKC area, and obviously every single game, as it always has been, is either is, is broadcasted on Fox Sports, which is now, as many of you know, Valley Sports, and. It says so on the TV guide that the Thunder game is going to be broadcasted on this ball- on Valley Sports Network, um, which here in OKC for Cox, I believe it's like channel 37. So I turn on channel 37, just got done, finished, uh, finished some dinner. I'm uh, turning on the TV, turn on the game, getting ready to watch the end of the pre the, the pregame avail- availability and and get ready to, to watch the game live. And there is a college basketball game on. I'm thinking, okay, well, then maybe a game just went a little long or something like that. That makes sense. Nope. It was uh, the Clemson Tigers versus some other team that that nobody in the Midwest would really even care to watch. And uh, there were still like 11 minutes in the second half. And uh, yeah, that was very strange. Thankfully, I was able to go onto my Fire TV where I had the Valley Sports app. And that's how I watched the game. 
but just really, really frustrating stuff from Bally Sports this season. Last season was bad, but it feels like this season's been way worse. Uh, technical issues, all the above. So, you know, just a little rant here at the top of the podcast about Bally, Bally Sports, uh, especially after, I think it was John Hammond tweeted this out, that it looks like Sinclair and Bally uh, are going to have like a $20 per month uh, a streaming service <laughs> that you can go in and watch your, your local teams just if you don't have cable. Just uh, kind of ridiculous. But enough about Bally. Uh, a little more relevant to the actual game itself. The Cleveland Cavaliers were on a second night of a back-to-back night, and they were playing their sixth game in night nights. Obviously, a lot of basketball, a very busy past week for the Cavs, and yet they still were able to come back down from 18. It's just really, really impressive in some context that I think deserves to be mentioned. Uh, even if we are a Thunder podcast, just like I said, really impressive stuff from Cleveland. And um, after playing <laughs> quite a bit over the past week, um, no Rondo, no no Rondo. Actually, it's kind of funny. I put it in my my notes for the Lakers yet. Uh, I obviously meant the Cleveland Cavaliers as they recently acquired him from the Lakers. Um, but no Rondo tonight for Cleveland and no Kenrich for OKC still in COVID protocols. The good news is that Isaiah Roby was out of protocols, even, even if he didn't see the four tonight. And then uh, Poku was available. Well, technically he got called up from the blue earlier today. He was not available for OKC tonight. He was inactive and is going to go right back to the blue. Um, so some good blue development minutes for Poku. And then the Thunder, end up starting uh, favors and JRE tonight, which is is, is something and I can't say necessarily new. We, we've seen that lineup some to start games this season, but especially recently, um, you know, Andrew Wiggins has kind of been getting that, that starting uh, nod at the power forward position, if you want to call it that, uh, that fourth position in that starting lineup with JRE at the five typically. And tonight, um, favors gets the nod again, which obviously, and, and they don't confirm this in the post game, but was to combat you know, at, at Cleveland's length and strength, <laughs> mainly being Mobley and Jared Allen, who they've been starting in the front court and have been really good for them this season. So it's kind of a quick uh, breakdown of the game before we get into some some more notes uh, post game, and then obviously into some themes. First quarter, uh, like I said, favor starts and he looks great. Maybe one of the best stretches. It wasn't a very long stretch, right? I mean, I think it was probably. Uh, a little over half of the first quarter that he played, but uh, Favors had six points and five rebounds in the first quarter and, and played really solid. He was playing solid defense um, on, almost said of a Mobley, on Jared Allen. Um, I thought he re- did a really good job on both ends of the floor. Uh, Shea, Giddy, even Lou, a lot of the Thunder guards uh, were struggling to get to the rim due to Cleveland's length, which was a theme throughout the night. That did get better, though, especially in the first half. But to start the game, especially, uh, they were kind of struggling, feeling, kind of filling out that um, that Cleveland defense. And that's where Favors was really able to shine. I thought he did a really good job. I thought it was worth mentioning. And after that, we just didn't really see a lot of Favors. When he was in the game, he just didn't really do a whole lot, kind of like the majority of the season. But I, I, I thought he played well, and it's worth mentioning. Uh, Trey Mann, Darius Baisley, first subs off the bench, and they played really well uh, there in the, in, the, in the first quarter. And I really liked some of the lineups. That or the lineup that they don't went with in the uh, towards the end of the first quarter and into the second quarter. Uh, Diakite is a no. I got here. He got early burn again, and the lineup of Diakite, Trey Mann, Baisley, uh, you know Trey. Uh, sorry, uh, SGA played with this lineup as well. But then um, towards the end, of the very end of the first quarter and, and into the majority of the second, it was a Ty Jerome played point guard uh, with that lineup. So Ty Jerome, Trey Mann, 
Diakite, Baisley, and Aaron Wiggins. That was the other one. Wiggins came in, and, and they played really well off the bench. I'll get into the bench um, here later on in my positives. But the Thunder led 32-24th in the first quarter, and that 30-point mark is kind of significant because it was it marked the fifth straight 30-point quarter for OKC. Um, they've been playing really well recently, especially on the offensive end of the floor over the past couple of games, and I think that stat just kind of shows that, right? And the second or sorry, the second half, you know, we'll get into uh, not nearly as good, but the Thunder continued where they left off, left off especially against Brooklyn, uh, with their fifth straight 30-point quarter in the first quarter. Second quarter was similar, even if they didn't quite hit that 30-point mark, they played really well. Diakite, that's kind of when he really shined. Um, he had some really good moments in there. For example, he had a pretty huge block. I can't remember who it was. I want to say maybe it was even, I think it was Mobley. When it, Mobley went up for a two-handed slam. Diakite jumps up and is able to block him and, and essentially save the shot. That was really impressive. Then he goes down the other end, gets an offensive rebound, and uh, you know it has a nice little hook shot over Jared Allen. So Diakite had some really solid burn there in the second quarter. And you know, obviously the Thunder trying to throw him out there, just kind of see what they have in him. It's somebody they've followed for a long time. Uh, he's had some good flashes. Nothing crazy, right? But w- worth the mention. Uh, Baisley looked really good. I thought he was playing uh, really solid. It, it, almost immediately, he gets the ball on the offensive end of the, of the floor, drives directly at Evan Mobley, and uh, he, he drew a foul, a foul. And then in the second quarter, maybe the highlight of the game for OKC, Baze has a ridiculous slam where he's, he's driving into the paint. Again, you got Jared Allen and Mobley in there. can't remember. I want to say it was Allen maybe. Um, who came to contest Baisley this time, but Baze is able to, he he first initially absorbs the contact. You think probably he's just going to go and, and try and lay something up and, and maybe get a foul, but no, he powers through double clutches dunks uh, immediately after just a huge slam. You can go to our, our Twitter uh, at the underscore uncontested. I, I tweeted out a really bad recorded version from my phone of the television replay, but regardless, Baisley, uh, that was kind of the highlight of his game. Continues to play really well, and we'll get into Baisley here in a little bit. Uh, Shea had a really nice help side block. That was kind of fun, a, a fun highlight um, where where he came in and had a almost a similar block to Diakite. It was very big. I can't remember who it was that was uh, coming up for the play, but yeah, uh, Shea comes from the help side uh, role on defense and has a really nice block on the defensive end of the floor. And then Lou was hitting threes. He, he finally got the three-point stroke going there in the second quarter made up for a large chunk of his overall 17 points. Uh, a lot of those came from some of those threes in the second quarter. I thought he played well. Not a single three-point shot for Shea in the first half, which is interesting, right? Uh, just super aggressive. You kind of see him filling out the Cleveland defense early on in the first quarter. And from there, he just played with such a, a strong and, and fast pace that it didn't really matter <laughs> that the, the Cleveland Cavaliers had that length because he was just attacking with so much aggression and, and again, just showed his versatility around the rim, being able to finish around the rim and around that length. It was just, it was really, really impressive. And that, that pace is something we'll get into here in a little bit, because I think that's another reason that the Thunder really struggled in the second half. So the Thunder in the half, four points shy of their sixth straight 30 point quarter, unfortunately, but uh, still really cool streak. And they led the Cavs 56 to 46 at the half. Thunder shot 48.9% overall and 45.5% from three. Much, much better from three, which is a thing we've seen over the past couple of games. However, that did not continue into the second half. <laughs> but the Thunder also out-rebounded the Cavs by 17. And that was something that would continue throughout the, the majority or the rest of the game. So the third quarter, um, this was kind of interesting. Muscala did not see the floor at all in the first half. But Muscala ends up starting the second half for favors. And just because I don't really have him in my positives or my negatives here uh, and, and my overall things for the game later on, 
uh, there was an interesting post-game quote from Dagnall that he mentioned Muscala is battling a ankle injury and has been battling it throughout the season and doesn't really make sense to pay, play him like 20 minutes a game. So I thought that was interesting and just kind of something to note. Um, is it maybe a bit of an excuse for why they aren't playing Muscala when he obviously makes that starting lineup um, much, much better providing that spacing? Uh, for those guys like Shea and Lou and, and Giddy, um, maybe it is an excuse, but um, also kind of makes sense, right? And it would be a reason why uh, Muscala hasn't been playing all that much. Uh, but he did start in the second half, like I said, after not seeing the floor in the first. No Ty Jerome at all in the third, which is really weird after Ty Jerome had a, a – I don't think I even really mentioned that uh, earlier. In the second quarter, Ty was just – in the first, <laughs> Ty was going crazy. He had ended up with, I think – I don't think he scored in the second half. So I think he had all 10 of his points in, in the second quarter, in the first half, uh, primarily the second quarter, where he had two just like bomb threes from from basically half court, like logo threes essentially. Uh, just looked awesome, though. Was was uh, driving to the rim with aggression, finishing around the rim. Even saw him talking some smack to, I, I don't even remember who the Cleveland's, uh, Cleveland's backup point guard is right now. But regardless, um, it was interesting that Jerome didn't play at all in the third. So you could chalk that up to, oh, well, that obviously was a tanky move. But it wasn't because my next point here is that Shea played the entire third quarter. So, you know, obviously the Thunder trying to win, it wouldn't make sorry, trying to lose, it wouldn't make sense to play Shea the entire third. I just found it interesting that Ty didn't see the floor at all. However, oh, well, sorry, just a couple more points. Um, Shea fouled, Garland, uh, Cleveland really got it going in the third quarter, uh, primarily on the offensive end of the floor. And that kind of culminated at the very end of the quarter where Shea fouled Garland. Um, on a three-point shot, he hits both threes, and I believe it's like a two-point game at this point. Uh, Cleveland scored 37 points in the quarter to cut the Thunder's 18-point lead down to two. Thunder couldn't get anything really going offensively. Their defense uh, was not nearly as intense as it was in the first half, or quite as sharp as it was in the first half. And Cleveland cuts that lead down to two, uh, largely led by Darius Garland, who we'll get into. Thunder shot only 19% in the third, kind of back up what I was saying there. So fourth quarter, uh, back to Ty Jerome. He does start the fourth quarter after Shea played the entire third. So that was good to see, uh, but did not really pick up <laughs> from where he left off in the first half. Not, not that he played bad or anything. He just didn't um, kind of take over that second unit like he did there in the first half. Giddy also came in uh, there. The Thunder continued to turn the ball over, and the defense wasn't really great. Uh, continued to kind of struggle. Um, however, down the stretch, the defense did tighten up for OKC. They played better on that end. Cleveland wasn't getting to the rim quite as easy or making shots quite as easy. Um, but OKC still struggled overall to score the ball, uh, especially after a really solid first half of doing so. Garland continued to make just some huge plays, especially down the stretch there uh, in the clutch. I, I don't even remember how much time was left. It wasn't very much. Uh, one of the last plays of the game, but he had a gorgeous lob to Mobley. And Mobley had a huge second half, had 16 points in the second half uh, after not having huge impact in the first. But uh, he, uh, Garland has a, a gorgeous lob, uh, alley-oop to Mobley. And and I, I believe that that put the um that put the Cavs up four. So then Muscala goes down. He nails a three, which is big. Thunder only down one with like ten seconds left or something like that. Uh, or no, sorry, it was more than that. Other end of the floor, Markinen gets a wide open three point shot, drills it with ten seconds left. That's what it was. Um, anyways, the Thunder end up losing. Uh, that was kind of the dagger there. But I I, I thought that maybe even before that 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 Garland alley oop to Mobley. Might be the dagger. Regardless, like I said, not nearly as nice of a second half for OKC after a really good first half. Um, that kind of continued how they were playing, you know, earlier this week in some of those games that um, 
hopefully you guys got to watch and, and listen to our post games on those as well. So before I get into some overall themes, um, as you all know, we we all do our post games differently, especially when I'm going solo. It's just easier for me <laughs> um, and to not spend so much time after the game trying to put notes together and things like that. It just it, it makes sense for me to do uh, negatives and positives. Always like to end on the positives, so we'll get into some of those. But two quick notes I want to mention before breaking down some of those themes. I'm not going to pretend like I like I've been watching every single Cle- Cleveland Cavaliers game this season. But Garland obviously has been having a phenomenal season. All-star worthy, um, really has kind of shown that he's taken a leap. So I, I kind of start with that disclaimer that I haven't watched every uh, every Cavaliers game this season because I, what he did tonight might have been, if not his best game of the season, one of his best games of the season, absolutely. He had a uh, at 27 points, I believe. Actually, I need to double-check that here on the box score. Yeah, he had 27 points. Uh, five rebounds, which I, I actually didn't even realize. But the big thing here is he had a career-high 18 assists, which tied CP... So obviously a career-high, but tied CP3 for the most uh, of a player in the NBA this season. And that's per Cavs PR. Not only that, but a very interesting stat from Synergy Basketball. Garland created, assisted, or scored 65 points in 36.5 minutes in tonight's game, which is phenomenal, especially when you take into the context I mentioned at the top of the podcast, where... The, the Cavs were on the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, we're playing their sixth game in nine nights, and we're down 18 at one point. And a large reason they were able to come back was because of the poise and the, and the performance of Darius Garland. So that's, that's worth mentioning here. My second point, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers obviously are, are a fun and interesting team for many reasons. Um, but I, I just kind of see uh, – I, I see where OKC is trying to get to um, – it's very similar to where Cleveland is. Like I kind of see that being a next step for OKC, if that makes sense. And so when John Hamm tweeted this out, I thought it was uh, it was pretty spot on and kind of summed up what I was thinking um, in, in a much better way <laughs> than I've been able to articulate. And so he mentioned basically how the Cavs team was built largely via high draft high draft picks and Garland, Mobley, Koro, and uh, even though he's not playing right now, um, Colin Sexton. And then also through opportunistic trades and Jared Allen and uh, Laurie Markkinen. You know, some even criticize, uh, probably even myself. I can't really remember. I'll have to go back and listen to some of those offseason pods. But the Markkinen trade um, from Chicago to Cleveland. And that's ended up being, uh, he's he's been playing a really good role for them this season. So outside of being the NBA team in the state that LeBron grew up in and wanting to play for, Cleveland isn't much of a free agent destination either, just like OKC is not. And Pressy doesn't necessarily need a, a blueprint. He's not going to copy a team word for you know uh, word for word, uh, step by step. Um, he obviously has a plan in his mind, but in terms of what a good example, of what OKC is hoping to build in the upcoming seasons, I think this Cleveland team really kind of uh, is is a perfect example of that. You know, OKC already has a budding star in SGA. That's kind of like Garland and the stuff that he's taken recently. They already have one solid pick at least in Giddy. Maybe you could call that like the the Cavaliers a, a Coro pick. Um, maybe maybe even the Sexton pick. Even like like I said, he's not playing this season. They have Lou, who is a major uh, solid building block. But now they need to find that next superstar in the draft that we keep talking about over and over. Not just on Thunder Twitter, but um, and or sorry, not just on this podcast, but also Thunder Twitter in general, other podcasts, national podcasts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Essentially, the Thunder need to find their Evan Mobley to pair with their Garland. 
Uh, they need to find that next piece to pair alongside Shea. And from there, you can be opportunistic in trades. Like we said, like, like, like we keep saying, you can push some of those chips to the middle of the table if you're Presti being all of the different picks that he has, right? And that's how you find your um, Jared Allen and your Markinens that, that fit around this team. For, for this team specifically, I would think that you'd want, well, let's just specific example, very easy one um, that, that we're all hoping happens. A, a player like Jabari Smith Jr., that would be a great three-point threat, um, two-way, great player piece to pair alongside Shea and those building blocks I mentioned, right? So then you could push in the chips and go and try and find a lob threat for this team because that's another something else they're missing. If you decide Jabari Smith is good enough, right, that it, it's worth starting to to build a contender again rather than you know waiting out another draft and seeing who you can get in that draft, um, you could go and try and find a Jared Allen type of player. Or vice versa, maybe you draft a big um, in this in this upcoming draft, and then you decide to try and find a three point shooter that that fits really well with some of these guys like Giddy, Shea, maybe even Lou. So all that to say, I, I think Cleveland um, really is a, a pretty good example here. Also, kind of similar to to John Ham's tweet, I thought uh, our co host Jacob Niffin had a really good point as well. He mentioned during the game that while nothing should be taken away from Garland's incredible game, a lot of his assists came from lobs. And the lob threat uh, to Mobley and Allen and how that lob threat opens up a lot of Garland's game for him, right? And just imagine having two players like that, a Mobley and Allen type, or even just one of them, to be completely honest, with Shane Giddy and how great they would look, right? And I think that's that's kind of exciting. Um, again, that's not to take away anything from Garland, but it just it shows you some of the steps forward, maybe the pass forward for this team, this OKC team, as they start to uh start to, you know, continue through the rebuild and start to transition back into a, a true contender again. So just some some interesting thoughts there, especially as I was watching the game and seeing some other people like Jacob and like John Hamm kind of tweet that out. I wanted to mention that on this post game as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But now, some positives and negatives. We're going to start with the negatives, always end on the positives. My first negative is pace. Uh, Dagnall mentioned that in his his post-game availability that he thought in the second half, the Thunder were maybe a little too ISO heavy, um, and they, they weren't quite pushing the ball like they did in the first in the first half, and I, I definitely agree with that. I noticed that as well, especially with guys like Shea and Giddy. Uh, they they really struggle in the second half and uh, continue to struggle with Cleveland's length and versatility, but also just like, you know, there was a lot of standing around with the ball, not able to get into sets. Um, 
Yeah, and, and basically allowing the Cavs to have time to set up their defense, which really, you know, made OKC struggle in the second half on the offensive end of the floor. And I don't know, that that just really stood out to me. I thought it was a really good point from Dignall um, and, and definitely was, was something that was very different from the first half. Losing consistency on defense kind of, I don't know, you know, he continues to play. He, he played a good game. There was definitely always, there's always going to be great lose uh, defensive possessions, but there's a lot of inconsistency this season on the, on the defensive end of the floor, especially after watching him a couple nights ago in Brooklyn and how well he played and guarded James Harden and compare that tonight when he primarily was, was guarding Garland. Um, I know that he's had trouble maybe with smaller, quicker guards like that compared to uh, more forward type players in in a Harden or a Paul George, for example, he's had a lot of success with, and he has struggled some with the smaller, quicker guards um, on opposing team. Obviously, Steph Curry and Garland kind of kind of fit that fits that mold. Honestly, um, I've heard that before as well. But so it is interesting that Lou struggled against him also. But I also think it's just something to do with like like Lou's going to show up um, for a game against. James Harden on the defense of the floor is going to focus on that. Not that he's not trying hard every single game, but there, there certainly is some inconsistency, maybe even an effort. Um, just given this season, uh, the the stage that the Thunder find themselves in, it's just something to monitor. I'm continuing to monitor throughout the season and something I wanted to mention here. Um, like I said, it has some really good possessions on the defense of the floor, but nothing like a couple nights ago against James Harden. Um, Garland pretty much had his way, 27 points, 18 assists. And, you know, Lou is... He he obviously didn't do a good enough job, you know that, that needs to be mentioned. And the Thunder as a whole defensively. My next one here, Giddy struggles with Cleveland's length and defensive pressure. Like I said, a lot of that came in the second half, um, and, and and Giddy even mentioned this himself. But Giddy had let's see, he only shot the ball eight times, right? He had six turnovers, which is I I don't know this for sure, but I want to say that's. If not his most, it's, it's certainly up there. Uh, very un- uncharacteristic for a, a pretty mature Josh Giddy. And speaking of his maturity, I thought he had some really good points in his post-game availability. He basically took the blame for the way the Thunder executed offensively towards the end of the game, um, right before Shea came in, because he was the main ball handler, ball handler in the game up until about five minutes when Shea and Lou did come back in. Uh, again, because Shea played the entire third quarter, he mentioned that as the lead ball handler in those situations, he needs to slow down. Uh, get the offense in sets and trust in those sets rather than trying to push the pace and uh, just kind of trying to force his way uh, into his game, right? Like trying to uh, drive to the rim and, and force passes. He he did really struggle defensive or sorry, offensively with, with Cleveland's length and strength. And um, he, he also made a really good point as well about how the Thunder have typically been the ones this season fi- finding themselves making a comeback rather than being the ones in the lead and trying to maintain that lead. And how this is a really good learning experience for them when they have a lead like that, um, you know, it, finding ways and being able to maintain that that lead uh, in, in these situations and not allowing some of these comebacks. And uh, he he put a lot of the blame on himself. And I thought that was really mature of him. Just I'm obviously a huge Giddy fan, uh, both on and off the court. But Giddy certainly did struggle, like I said, uh, as the majority of the team did with uh, with Cleveland's really solid defense and their length and versatility. And uh, so, so this is going to be a really interesting learning point for Giddy. However, I love Dignall's quote. You know, he kind of ta- he was asked about Giddy in his game tonight, and um, you know, he he mentioned some of those um, struggles that Giddy had, but he said something along the lines of, "If this is Josh's, uh, if this is a bad game from Josh, 
I think we'll take it. <laughs> and what he's referring to there is even if Josh, you know, only shot the ball eight times and had six turnovers, he still had 11 points, was a leading rebounder on the team with 10 rebounds as a guard slash forward and uh, was five of eight from the, from the field. So even then, a lot of good things to take away from Giddy's game, but certainly wasn't one of his better games, and he struggled with this kind of uh, team like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and then my last one here, turnovers. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. 15 turnovers for OKC to Cleveland 7, and a lot of those came in the second half. I don't have the numbers um, and the breakdown of turnover in the first half versus the second, but I can guarantee you, just based off eye test alone, that the majority of those came in the second half. Uh, like I said, Giddy had 16, or sorry, there was only 15 in the game uh, for OKC, so not 16. He had six. Um, SGA only had three. That's kind of interesting. I thought he had more, but there were some plays that maybe wouldn't show up in the box score as turnovers where Shea was driving to the rim and would fall down or would get a no call that didn't count as a turnover, but I kind of thought like that he'd have a little more. Um, Baisley had to Trey Trey man had to. So really the bulk of those came from Giddy, but regardless still a negative for OKC 15 turnovers on the night. And then a theme that I can't really classify as a negative or a positive. I'm just kind of throwing in the middle was SGA. Um, a lot of that was because, you know, again, SJ being the leader of this team on and off the court, the way he plays, you know, he, he leads by example and he leads vocally, but as specifically on the floor, like for example, if he's locked in on defense and he's playing a really good defensive game, you notice the rest of the team tends to do so as well. Same for offense. Obviously as a point guard, he sets the pace, something I mentioned earlier, right in my negatives. Um, and I don't think it's coincidence that in the first half, Shea played very well, was extremely aggressive, continued and, and left off exactly where he left off against Brooklyn, uh, where he had, you know, 30 plus points and was one assist away of a triple double or maybe one rebound away. Regardless, Shea continued that in the first half. He he kind of analyzed very early on over the first, you know, first couple of possessions how Cleveland was going to guard him. And then he realized that by pushing the pace and and playing fast that he was going to be able to blow by some of those bigger defenders and won't have to mess with the length that Cleveland presents. Right. But in the second half, didn't really get that opportunity. Uh, the refs kind of started, the, started calling the game a little more tight after Bickerstaff was just losing his mind the first half and some of the third quarter, uh, they started calling the, which is kind of frustrating that the, the refs seemed to give in and started calling the game a little more tight because of that. Shea struggled there in the, in the second half uh, ends up with 24, sorry, 21 points, four rebounds, seven assists, still a great stat line from SGA, but seven of 19 from the floor. Like, again, I'm never going to complain about Shea shooting the ball 19 times on this team specifically uh, or going to the free throw line, but really kind of struggled there in the second half. And uh, I, I think the team kind of followed. So again, solid stat line. I liked a lot of what I saw, especially in the first half from Shea, uh, kind of carrying over from what he was doing earlier this week, kind of bouncing back, coming back from COVID protocols, right? But Overall, not my favorite game from SGA. So because of that, I can't really put him in a positive or a negative. But now, transitioning finally into some positives. The OKC Thunder bench, huge positive tonight. And a lot of that was in the first half as well. 43 points on 15 of 30 shooting and 15 rebounds. You look at the bench, obviously a lot of that is led by Darius Baisley, who we'll get into, 17 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 5 of 9 from the floor. Diakite only had 2 points. It was a really fun 2 points there. In the first half, but he had four rebounds. Uh, nine points for Mike Muscala in the second half. Uh, had some really big three-point shots, especially one there towards the end that kept the Thunder alive. And then 10 points from Ty Jerome, who was great in that first half and didn't really do much in the second half. Uh, really only got to play some of that fourth quarter. And Trey Mann, uh, 
I, I love seeing him. You know, 25 minutes. He was the se- had the second most minutes off the bench behind Darius Baisley, who had 28. Um, for comparison, JRE had the least minutes of well, – well, I guess besides favors. Um, JRE had 26 minutes in the starting lineup. So it is great to see Trey – Earning coaches' trust, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I thought he held up pretty well overall. Wasn't his best night offensively, five points, two rebounds, two assists, but overall uh, continues to have an impact. I just, if he's able to, to to now, you know, get 25 minutes off the bench, for example, I think we're going to have a Trey Man explosion at some point by the end of the season. And I, I am just, uh, cannot wait to see that. So, all that to say, I thought the OKC bench was fantastic tonight, more so in the first half uh, than the second half, but that was the team as a whole. Speaking of, uh, kind of similar in that regard, 22nd chance points for OKC, 15 offensive rebounds, and they out-rebounded Cleveland by 11. Like I said, that is something that carried over into the second half when many other things didn't. They out-rebounded Cleveland 57-46. to So very impressive there against a, a long and strong um, Cleveland team, right? That I was kind of a little worried about how OKC was going to fare against guys like Terry Allen, Evan Mobley. They fared pretty damn good all things considered and so uh, definitely a positive in that regard as well now somebody else uh oh uh, also calling in the the chat said uh, if you answer questions later and then he he dropped some questions in here i absolutely will answer questions later so please uh all of you that are listening in send in some questions whether you're on youtube twitter instagram whatever or however you're watching uh be sure to drop questions i'll answer them here at the end uh we're getting pretty close to that uh, my my next positive, like I mentioned, Darius Baisley, he continues to play really solid, continuing to just play within the flow of the game. You know, pregame Dignall kind of mentioned uh, with Baisley, you know, he he is very impressed with his recent play. He mentioned, you know, even that Baisley may be starting uh, here in the future again, and kind of mix continuing to mix it up. But specifically, how much he's uh, he he's liked what he's seen from Baisley in the backup center role, and Baisley continued that tonight. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still some Baisley moments. And what we mean by that is, you know, boneheaded plays essentially where he's driving to the rim into traffic and throws up some, you know, some layup that goes over the backboard. And when he had one or two players wide open, that he should have uh, passed the ball to, or even just catching the ball, standing, you know, sitting on the wing, holding on to it instead of, of passing it within the flow of the offense. But he's been much, much better in that regard. And, and tonight, I thought overall he was he was great again. Like I said, 17 points, seven rebounds, five of nine from the floor, uh, only one of four from three, but that's okay. Uh, again, a little more reserved from the three-point line in terms of attempts. Um, it, it just so much more decisive. And like I said, we saw a lot of that in the first half when he's just, uh, he's he's attacking from the very beginning, he, he's not holding on to the ball and waiting and, and being indecisive. He knows exactly where he wants to go or what he's going to do when he catches the ball. And that is a huge step forward for Baisley. So I actually have a stat here from Brett Usher at Hooper, Hooperbole, very good pun there, uh, on Twitter. And uh, I thought this was a really good, it just kind of encapsulates the, the recent success that Baisley's been having uh, coming off the bench. So his last four games, 10 points, 5 rebounds, 5 of 9 from the floor. 14 points, 9 rebounds, 5 of 7 from the floor. 16 points, 5 rebounds, 6 of 9 from the floor. And then tonight, 17 points, 7 rebounds, 5 of 9 from the floor. Um, this is ever since moving to the bench on 12-18. And yeah, I'd like this four-game stretch has maybe been some of the best of his career. It reminds me of that five-game stretch, five-ish game stretch that he had at the, the beginning of the season. And then he kind of dropped off again. He kind of started the season slow. Uh, a little rough, had a really great five-game stretch there, and then all of a sudden dropped off again. 
right? And that kind of led eventually to him being benched. And uh, now he's having another really good stretch. So the thing with Baisley is the consistency. Can he continue this? Um, can he continue this once he he gets back in the starting lineup, even if it's not permanent? You know, can he take what he's doing with the second unit? And even when he's being mixed in to play with the starters, and can he do this on a game-by-game basis? And if he does, that's true growth and is exciting. If not, you know, that's concerning. <laughs> you can see to see the flashes from Baisley, but he can't just he can't seem to put it all together. Hopefully this recent stretch is him starting to put it all together. And it's just something to continue to keep an eye on, um, especially as we, you know, enter into the second half of the season, which seems crazy. Next positive, Ty Jerome's half. Won't talk a whole lot about that, but man, two of those three-point shots that he had. Uh, one of them I tweeted, you know, he shot that one from Edmund. <laughs> I mean, it just basically logo shots. And it was, it's awesome seeing him, him take those with confidence and starting to hit them more regularly again. Really exciting stuff. I, I love Ty Jerome. I love him on this team. But if we're being honest, maybe he is a trade chip. And um, if the Thunder don't hold on to him, he's increasing his trade value. If they do, I think he fits really well with this team, and it's great to see him playing better. And then finally, Dignall's rotations. I, I really like the rotations we saw uh, today from Dignall. Like I, except Ty Jerome, no Ty Jerome in third quarter. That was my only kind of uh, quirk that I had there. But uh, overall, I, I really liked what we saw. Like I said, the, the lineup that Dignall played – and the towards the end of the first quarter and long into the second quarter because they were playing so well. You had uh, Aaron Wiggins, Ty Jerome, Trey Mann, Baisley, and Diakite. And, and I think at one point maybe he subbed in JRE or, Musco- or JRE or somebody with that lineup. And at one point in the second half, you had a lineup of SGA, Dort, Giddy, Mann, and Baisley, which maybe like even if it doesn't fit necessarily the best in terms of like having a true center uh, in that lineup might be the most fun lineup on this team. Uh, certainly five of the most exciting players, young players on this Thunder team. So a lot of fun things from Dagnall. I think he continues to do a really good job overall. Uh, and you could tell in his postgame availability that he wasn't very pleased with how the second half transpired. Um, obviously, this is a coach, and I don't think this needs to be said, but a coach and a team who aren't aren't intentionally trying to tank. Uh, it's the way that they're designed, kind of like I mentioned earlier, right? They're leading to losses kind of like tonight. And uh, I just I, I see a lot of optimistic things that they're building upon this season that's laying this foundation that they can truly build upon and move forward with knock on wood, hopefully assuming that they're able to really hit in the dra- in this upcoming draft this summer. So I think that is all I have. So now I will get into uh, a couple of these comments and questions here in the chat. I think these are all coming from YouTube, so I'll answer these and then we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Um, Joseph Dieterman said he he missed Wiggins um, and Trey looked lost. Trey did look a little lost, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Like I said, the Cavs are a really, really good defensive team. And I think that length really messed with a lot of our players on the offensive of the floor. And Trey was, um, you know, I, I think he falls into that category as well. But like I said, I did love that he got a lot of a burn tonight. I think it's only a matter of time if he's able to continue to get that burn consistently that we see him have a really, really good game. Primarily offensively, but hopefully on the defensive end of the floor as well. And he's certainly getting better there. Um, Colin asked me, if you answer questions later, would you do Isaac Okoro for Kenrich and that Phoenix first at the deadline? I like that. I like that a lot. Um, That's certainly when I think of trading Kenrich. If we do end up trading Kenrich, um, I I do like the idea of uh, kind of using that as a consolidation trade. You know, we kind of, you know, we, we use the example of Cam Reddish. Uh, not that, you know, we were gung-ho on Cam Reddish here. We we just, you know, that was just a, an easy example. 
uh, I'm trying to think Jalen Smith from Phoenix, the center who's been playing much better recently. Like if you're trading Kenrich to a team rather than just getting more assets back, it would be kind of cool to see Presley pivot just a bit and combine another asset with Kenrich to get another young promising player in return rather than a pick. And so a co-row in that situation would be great. I will say this though, Colin, I don't think Cleveland does it. Um, obviously they would love Kenrich. Um, that Phoenix first is fine, but they think very highly of a Coro. Uh, like I said, they, they drafted them pretty high. And so I think it's going to take more than that Phoenix first. Like for example, if the Thunder were to do that, and I, I don't think they would, but if, if they were, I think it would be like Kenrich and probably the Clippers unprotected pick uh, for a Coro. And maybe even that doesn't get it done depending on how Cleveland views him. Um, but all that to say, I, I like it. I love where your head's at. I think you're on the right track for sure. Uh, that's kind of something I would like to see as well, but maybe not for a Coro. And then Joseph Dieterman mentioned as well, untimely turnovers on Baisley. Yes, Baisley is still having his moments, and there certainly were some un, untimely turnovers there uh, in the fourth quarter. But it wasn't just Baze, right? It was Josh Giddy, like we mentioned. Um, even if some of those quote-unquote turnovers didn't show up on the stat sheet, Shea had some plays that kind of were turnovers, right? Just kind of some bad shots or um, you know he falls down, whatever the case may be. So it wasn't just Baisley, but that's a good point. And then Colin uh, here, he says he I've mentioned names like PJ. I've heard names like PJ Washington, Mo Bamba, Hakobro, and Reddish. Obviously, Reddish being unavailable as of this past week. If they trade for anyone like that, who do you want them to target? Um, very good question. PJ Washington would be awesome, but I think he falls in the Okoro bucket as well. Uh, Colin, in terms of it's going to take more than just like Kenrich and, and that like a uh, kind of lowly first to get him to pry him away. But I have heard, or not heard, I just, you know, from podcasts and different things, national podcasts, PJ Washington may be a player that the, uh, with him coming up uh, on, an, on an extension that maybe a player that a team like um, the Hornets would be willing to part from for the right price. I'm just not sure what that price would be. And I'm not sure Kenrich and like the Phoenix first would be enough, but I like that one. Um, Mo Bamba obviously would be awesome, but I think he might fall in that in a similar category. But I mentioned Jalen Smith. I think that's a, a really good one for um, for Phoenix, right? Uh, fits a position for that OKC needs could provide, um, you know, a, 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 an opportunity to develop, and you know, with some of these young players as well. But also, isn't good enough. That's really going to change the trajectory of the season. As the Thunder are trying to, you know, they they'd rather land a, land a high draft pick this season and get a Jabari Smith Jr. for example than uh, trade for Jalen Green and and try and make the play and kind of thing. J, uh, Green's not good enough quite or did I say green I keep saying green Jalen Smith uh Smith isn't good enough right to to kind of push you over that hump so um that's one I have in mind right now obviously reddish was kind of an obvious one I'll do some more thinking some more targets like that but like I said I think you're on the right track and um I certainly like that idea as well rather than just going for more seconds yeah um Jackson Hayes I think that's another good one that probably would would fit that as well if you were to trade uh, I think Jake has mentioned this one if you were to trade Kenrich back to the Pelicans maybe you get Jackson Hayes instead um, of, of a pick I think that's an interesting one um, Jackson Hayes I think is much lower than guys I mentioned like Koro and PJ Washington and Mo Bamba I don't think it would take nearly as much to get Jackson Hayes I'm kind of iffy on Hayes though I'm not sure how much I would necessarily want him um, but I don't think it would take very much to answer your question uh, but thank you for sending those in, Colin. Really good stuff. Always love interacting with you all. So uh, be sure to, to tune in to all of our upcoming podcasts, uh, whether it's post-game, group podcasts, ask questions, and we'll obviously try to get to them. But I think that's all I've got. 
all I've got for tonight. I appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, it, it was a fun game, a close game. It's a really good Cleveland team. And that's what I love about this Thunder team. Um, it's not a tank like the Sixers tank, right? It, it it's There's a lot of fun and competitive games. And tonight's a perfect example of that. Like I said, against a really, really good Cleveland Cavaliers team. So looking ahead, Monday night, they play. They, they go. The Thunder go on a four-game road trip upcoming um, at the Mavericks on Monday. Get to see Luka again. Wednesday at the Spurs. Friday at the Hornets, speaking of the Hornets that we just talked about a little bit ago. And then we have a rematch January 22nd at Cleveland, against Cleveland, but this time at Cleveland. So continue to stay tuned. We will have you covered for all of those. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow night as we have our group podcast. I may or may not be on there as a Thunder, or sorry, not the Thunder, my other favorite sports team, the Kansas City Chiefs. We're playing the first round of the playoffs. We'll see how the first part of that game's, game goes. Hopefully it's a blowout. They're, they're blowing up the Steelers, and uh, I'll, I'll jump on. Um, but anyways, be sure to tune in. We'll have you covered on all things OKC, especially to get closer and closer to the deadline, trade deadline. Exciting stuff. Thank you all again for tuning in, and until next time, Thunder up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.